uh, some um, give a little bit of an explainer to that. that, that or what membership of our church looks like. Um, and, and lots of you are members, and that's great. Um, and maybe, maybe you've come from a church background where they didn't have church membership, or they did and it didn't really mean much, or it was kind of like you're just on a register somewhere, and that's, not on that kind of register, that sounds bad, on a roll somewhere, and uh, it, it didn't really mean much. Or maybe you have a, a negative experience of church membership where it's lots of crazy heated meetings and you're arguing about stuff and all that kind of thing. That's not what membership in our church looks like. Membership of of Village, I suppose one of the reasons there's, and I'll talk more about this in in the class next Sunday evening, so I don't want to kind of go over that in much detail, but one of the reasons we believe that membership is important is because of the context that we find ourselves in. So there's tons of stuff that the Bible gives us freedom on, so there's no direct command in the Bible to have um, a, a membership kind of role like that, um, a formal membership, even though, as I'll explain next Sunday night, there is evidence of that, I think, in the Bible. But, but we have so much freedom to practice things in, in, in our culture, in our context, that makes sense, right? For example, there's no command in the Bible to have weddings in a church gathering, but we do that because it makes sense in our context, and our culture. Membership is a bit like that. I think that, that we live not only in the West, which we do, but we also live in Northern Ireland, which is very Christianized, and, and there's lots of nominal Christianity where it's easy to kind of hop around different churches. And because we're in the West, everyone's very non-committal, and you never really belong to anything. And if you don't like something, you just give it up and, and go off to the next one. I think that being members, uh, committed members of, of, of a local expression of the body of Christ like this is really important because what it does, it says to the world and to each other, just like Paul teaches us in Corinthians, we are members of one another, that we belong together, that I belong to this family. Now, what that doesn't do, you will always, as a Christian, be, belong to the body of Christ global. <laughs> um, but, but becoming a member of this expression of the body of Christ here in Village doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be a member of this church forever. You might be while you're here studying. Or you might be while you live in Belfast or, or before you move to West Belfast to be part of a church plant over there or whatever it may look like. Um, so if you've been around Village for a while, I would really encourage you to come along and just find out more about it. Find out more about what membership looks like and the benefits of it. This sounds like a sales pitch. No, it's not. Um, and, and why it's important. And then also, as Lauren was saying, uh, the, the kind of behind the scenes stuff, not that there is much behind the scenes stuff, but the behind-the-scenes stuff of, of how our church functions, like how we're governed and, and, and how we do budgets. And then when, when you become a member, um, you're part of those conversations because we have these family meetings. We're going to have one in, on the 7th of September, a family meeting where you get to talk about what the leadership of our church looks like and be part of those decisions and, and budgets and all that kind of stuff. So if you've been around Village for a wee while and you've never really said, I'm going to commit in this way, I'd really encourage you to come along. Coming along next Sunday doesn't mean that you're going to be forced to become a member. You're not. It's just a chance to hear more about that and hear about who we are and, and how we practice things and to ask questions as well. And also, I would say, uh, me, and, me and Travis are, are always a, a, around if, if you, uh, as elders, if you want to just grab one of us or, or text us or whatever or phone us or email us, just to ask questions. If, you know, if you, you have questions about anything, just come to us. Like, we're, we're always here. So, um, yeah. That's what I want to say about that. So, uh, Psalm 28. Um, let me pray for us before we get into it, because I feel like I need to ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, we, uh, just as Lauren prayed, we thank you for your word. And just as we sang, thank you that you are our rock. Just as we read in this passage, you are our rock. 
Um, Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, right now, open up these words to our hearts. Help us receive them as being good. Help us to receive them as love and encouraging words from a kind and good Father to his children. We're your kids, Father. We want to hear your voice. We want you to change us to be more like Jesus, and we want Jesus to be glorified. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Um, Loads of you in our church will know our dog, George. Uh, when I broke my leg last year, tons of you were like come and walking us, and he misses you all. So if you ever want to walk a dog, come and wa- come and walk him. Honestly, please do. Um, uh, a wee while ago, maybe like last year or maybe even two years ago, I was walking George down by the, down the river, down by the towpath, and um, he's so familiar with it down there that I always just let him off the lead. Probably annoys people, but he goes jumping in the river. He's swimming. Sometimes he chases ducks and all this kind of stuff. And I throw sticks in the water and he jumps in and gets them. And then this one time he came out of the water and he had the stick in his hand and he set the stick down and then he just froze looking at something in the middle of the path. And that's really abnormal for him because he never stops moving. And, And so I went to see what he was looking at and all I could see was this wee tiny spiky ball. And it was a hedgehog. This hedgehog that had always been freaked out by George, because he's mental, and had gone into like pure defense mode. Have you ever seen a hedgehog do this? Where it just like curled up, spikes out. And now I find that that's a really interesting defense mode, right? Because the hedgehog is like a foot away from long grass and the bushes and stuff, and it could have just ran in there and disappeared, but it just stopped dead in the middle of the path and curled into this ball. Now, thankfully, George didn't try and bite it or anything, because that would have been bad for him. Um, And I was kind of able to just kind of, you know, nudge it into the grass. But that's the defense mechanism of a hedgehog. And and it's one of many examples in nature of of defense mechanisms. I saw this uh, Dave Attenborough thing with this octopus that curls itself in this ball and picks up rocks and shells so that sharks can't get it, which is pretty cool. Geckos can make their tails come off. I've seen that in real life as well. It's gross. And, and so they can run away. Um, nature is full of these different responses to danger in times of trouble. But it made me think about what's our, what's our defense mechanism? What's, what do we do in times of trouble? How do, we, how do we behave and react whenever we're surrounded by trouble? This is what we're dealing here uh, with in Psalm 28. Now, we're not told exactly what kind of trouble that, that David in, uh, King David, the, 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 very, uh, the, the second king of, of Israel, uh, writes a psalm. He wrote loads of psalms, um, and he wrote this one. We're not really told what kind of trouble he's in, but we do know uh, from the words of this psalm that we can get a pretty clear picture of what's going on. He tells us that he is living in a time of great wickedness. This is what he feels. He feels wickedness all around him. He says it's a time of evil deeds. Like verse 3, for example, tells us that he's surrounded by wicked people who should be his neighbors, but in reality, they're anything but. So they might speak nice things, but reality, they have ulterior evil motives in their hearts. Verse 4 tells us that their deeds are evil. Verse 5 tells us that David is surrounded by people who who don't regard the the works of the Lord or the labor of his hands. In other words, he's surrounded by people who have no time for God. They they, they don't consider that they even live in a world created by God or ungoverned by him and sustained by him. They deny, at least in in what they do and how they live, that, that there is any influence of God in the world. And that, for me, strikes a familiar chord because it feels like a lot of the people I know and a lot of, I mean, you know this to be true as well, that no one really thinks about God. It's almost like in our culture that God is like a forgotten relic of the past. 
we were in Amsterdam this last week for our 10th anniversary. And uh, yeah, I know, it's amazing that we survived 10 years. Um, and one of the things that struck me about that city is that there's tons of old church buildings all around. And some are beautiful, beautiful buildings, but they're things like community centers or galleries. Uh, we went to one, the oldest building in the, in the city is, is this old uh, cathedral, and it's been stripped bare, and it's now an art space. It's a really beautiful art space, and it's fascinating historically. Um, but, but it's almost like in the culture that we live in, that God has become this kind of outdated idea. At the very least, he's kind of like a lucky charm that people might go, you know, when, you know whenever uh, things are start going wrong, you go, oh, you know, dear God, help me kind of thing. One commentator, when speaking about this psalm, says that this psalm is simultaneously the desperate prayer of a man who is surrounded by wickedness and the heartfelt song of, the, of one who knows the deliverance from wickedness. So there's this kind of two things going on. He's living in this world where people don't really think about God and he, he sees a lot of evil and, and everything around him. And he, it's a cry of his heart desperately out to God. But then at the same time, he's also crying out while he knows that he already has been delivered from evil. And that's kind of the situation that the church finds ourselves in, right? We live in this world where God is just this relic, where God is a lucky charm, where, where God is whatever. Um, and, and we're desperately crying out to be delivered. But at the same time, we as Christians, we, we already have been delivered, right? And so we got a lot to learn from this psalm this morning. And, and there's a question I think that Psalm 28 uh, can help us answer. And the question is, what do the people of God do when faced with wickedness? Or, or to put it another way, how do the people of God respond when they are surrounded by the kind of people that this passage describes as workers of evil? Or, or to put it simply, how do God's people live in an evil world? How do God's people live in an evil world? Um, there's this part of, uh, uh, in Lord of the Rings, I know, it's very nerdy, but anyway, there we are, part of Lord of the Rings that I really love. Um, so it, if you don't know the story, it won't make any sense, like, try, I'm not going to try and explain it, but the, the, the group have gone into these mines, the mines of Moria, and, and uh, Gandalf, who's leading the way, uh, he, he can't really remember which passage to go down, and, and Frodo, who's the kind of main character um, of the story, he begins to just get really depressed. And he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And that's kind of how we can feel a lot, can't we? We can, ever, we can look at the, at the world around us and, and think, I, I wish none of this had ever happened. Why am I in this situation? Or, or why is that allowed to happen? Maybe it's when you hear of like another awful atrocity in Ukraine and you go, why, why is that allowed to happen? Or maybe it's when you see people drowning as they try to cross the channel, fleeing horrible things in their own countries. Or maybe it's when there's an, an, another story that comes out of an elected leader who has lied and cheated and abused people. And you're like, how are these things allowed to, uh, how is this happening? It's easy if we just watch the news to feel overwhelmed by the evil and wickedness in the world. And, and uh, I think it was last night, the night before, I just said to Haley, like, if we, the news was on and, and, and I just said, I think if I watched the news and I didn't believe in God, I'd just be totally fearful and depressed <laughs> all the time. But what does Gandalf say to Frodo at this point when he's just in despair? Gandalf says, Frodo says, I, I wish none of this had ever happened. And, and, and Gandalf replies, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for us to decide. 
All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. Now, I love this bit. I love the imagery of this wise old man uh, giving out like sagely advice. And it, it, seems, it seems like really good advice on the surface, doesn't it? You know, and in one sense, it's true. We don't get to decide the times that we live in, but, but I think that there's, there has to be a more hopeful picture than just do your best, right? There has to be a more, I mean, if it was just down to each of us to, to live as best as we could in whatever time we find ourselves in, we, we wouldn't get very far because we all know our own limitations, right? And not only that, here's the thing that always strikes me is it's not only that we live in times of evil, I know my own heart. And I know the thoughts in my own head. And I know actually how much am I not just subject to the evil times we live in, but how much wickedness is in my own heart and in my own thoughts. So what do we do? There must be more than just do your best in the time you find yourself in. Well, for David in in Psalm 28, there, there certainly is more than just deciding how to live in difficult times. David is surrounded by evil and, and wickedness and and people And I think that we have a lot to learn from how he responds. Now, you can break the psalm into three sections, and each section gives us an insight and an example of how the people of God live in the world that we find ourselves in. Let's look at verses 1 to 5. I'm going to read it again. I think it's on the screen. Verse 1 to 5 says, To you, O Lord, that's actually the word Yahweh. It's the name of God. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. Can you hear the desperation in him? When I cry for you, cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary, do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work, according to their evil, the, the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hand, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Do you see what's going on here? The first thing that he does in living in this world is he prays. And that's our first lesson of this morning, that the people of God are praying people. The people of God pray. Look what's happening here in verse 1. David calls to the Lord to save him. And his concern is that if if, if the Lord doesn't save him, that he's going to go the way of the wicked, right? If, if the Lord doesn't save him, he's going to become like those who go down to the pit. There's genuine desperation here. He knows that he needs salvation. And he also knows that he specifically needs it from the Lord. And I love this. Because it's, it's not just that he knows the danger he's in and knows the, 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 the danger of his own heart. It's that he knows who he is praying to. And this isn't just David, like, sending up, you know, good vibes. I'm going to send up some good vibes. What does that mean? Or, like, you know, like a kind of superstitious thing. The kind of prayer that is uttered in the first verse of this psalm is the kind of prayer that comes from the heart of a person who knows the heart of the God they're praying to. He specifically invokes the name Yahweh because he knows that only Yahweh can save him. Look at how he refers to God. He says, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. My rock, security, safety, stability. It's unmoving. It's permanent. Now, this was a a common phrase in the Old Testament used by God's people to refer to God. Some people think it's a reference to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It could be. 
Some people think that it's, it's a reference to the Mount Sinai where the, the law of God came down to Moses. Either way, God could, or David could use this term, this rock, to refer to God because he knew exactly who he was praying to. This is the heart of, what I said was this is the, someone who's praying from their heart, the heart of someone who knows the heart of the God they're praying to. What I want to say to us is that if David could, could, was so confident in who he was praying to, how much more can we be confident in who we pray to? We know who we're praying to because God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And more than that, he has brought us into union with himself through the work of Jesus so that we can have intimacy with him and we can have knowledge of the almighty God of heaven. Not just knowledge in that I know all the things about him, but know him in, in, in a way that two friends know each other intimately or a husband and wife know each other intimately. He's the one that, that we cry out to. It's this God of heaven that we are now joined to that we cry out to. Listen to uh, Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. This might be familiar to you. If it's not, listen carefully to what it says. It says this. It's, it, I mean, the context is talking about the, the priesthood of Jesus and, and how Jesus is our intermediary between us and God. And it says this. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. That means he has come from heaven. Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, he's our priest. Let us hold fast our confession. So, so don't give up. Hold on to what you believe. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now listen to this. Let us then, or because of this, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What David is doing here in Psalm 28 is what we get to do on an even deeper level. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You know, sometimes I wonder why we find it so hard to pray. Why, why is it that we're so unwilling to pray or why is it that prayer is so often absent in our lives? Some days I have days where I'm like, Lord, I haven't even spoken to you today. Or, or, or why, why is it that we find it that it's this, there's a blockage in, in coming to God? Listen, we don't need to be shy in our prayers. We, we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be full of doubt. If you are a Christian, then you are in Jesus, and so you can boldly, boldly approach the throne of grace. Isn't that so cool? You, you don't need to find the right words. You, do, you don't need to try and be good enough. You don't need to wait for a prayer meeting or gathering. You, you don't need to let other people do it for you. If you're, a, if you're a Christian, you're a child of God, and that means that you can boldly approach his throne. If, if my kids want something, or something's annoying them or bothering, they don't think twice about coming to me or coming to Haley and just saying what's on their mind. Even if it's the most stupid thing you've ever heard. Even if it's, it's nothing important to us. They, they just come in, come up to you, and tell you what's going on. Often their prayers are just like, I'm hungry. It's not, can I please have some food? It's just like, I'm thirsty. I need this. I want this. And if you are in Jesus, then, then you can boldly, confidently walk into the throne room of heaven and just tell your father what's going on. 
It doesn't even have to be as well-formed as I am hungry or, or as please can I have some food. It can simply be a cry of your heart, I'm hungry. We pray because we know the one we're praying to. And this should fill us with confidence, right? That we can simply just come close to God. There's some great examples of people who do this in this, in, in this church, even in this room. But let's look, look a bit closer at what David actually prays for in verses 2 to 4. In, in verse 2, he wants the Lord to hear his cries for help. In verse 3 and 4, it's that idea he's literally going up to God and saying, ah, this is going on. <laughs> like he's not, it's not like God doesn't know that there's people who are evil all around him. But he tells God, he's like, this is what's going on. In verses 3 and 4, he's asking the Lord that he wouldn't suffer the same fate as the wicked people surrounding him. He said, Lord, this is going on. Now, please, I don't want to suffer the same fate as them. I don't want to go the same way as them. And this, for me, seems to imply that if the Lord doesn't hear his cries for help, then, then he, will just, he will become just like the evil people that he's afraid of that are, that are uh, you know, causing him trouble. So in other words, what that means is that there is a connection between not coming to God and being full of evil and wickedness. This is what we see in verses 4 and 5. Give to them according to their work and according to their evil deeds, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the works of his hands. You see, these evil people that are surrounding David, they, they don't give any credence to God. They, God is just an ancient relic. He, he's irrelevant. God doesn't factor into their thinking at all. And, and they don't believe that they live in a world created or governed by God. They don't believe that God has a plan for his creation. They have disregarded God. And so, because of that, their hands are, the, the works of their hands are evil. And David's response to this is what? To pray to the God he knows, out of the desperation of his heart, that he would be heard by God so that he would not suffer the same fate as those who have no regard for God. And this is important because not only is he praying to the God that he knows, but he's also praying that he would not be evil too. He's, he's praying that, that he was desperate not to become like them. His main concern was that the Lord would deliver him from evil. And if that phrase sounds familiar, it should be because this is what, what Jesus himself teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Lord, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, sometimes we think that that's just like, uh, don't let any evil stuff happen to me. Deliver me from the evil all around me. And that's true. That's part of it. But, but really, the deeper thing that's going on here, and I think this is what David is doing, is saying, Lord, deliver me from the evil within. Don't let me walk down the evil path that my heart naturally wants to walk down. And without God intervening in our lives and changing our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit, we would just be workers of evil too, right? I have no capacity for good within me except for Jesus. That's why it's vital that as we live in the world that we live in, in, a, in this world that has kind of forgotten God and disregarded God or whatever, it's vital that we follow this example of Psalm 28 and pray for deliverance from evil. Because I think that so often, um, especially when we pray for you know, the big things in the world, like the war in Ukraine, I've talked about that a lot this morning because it's a big thing at the minute, that, that, that we kind of go, oh, that's the evil stuff. You know, Lord, sorry, all that evil stuff. And we don't think of, Lord, sorry, the, the, the wrong and the sin and the evil in my heart. 
But we need to pray, deliver us from evil, not just that we would be saved from the effects of evil, but that we would be saved from, from doing evil, from being evil ourselves. We all know what our human nature is like, don't we? We all know what goes on in our minds. Like we all know the horrible thoughts that, that we have about other people. Even if we don't act on or say the things that we're, we're thinking, that evil tendency is there. I know that what my own heart and mind is like. I'd be so ashamed if, if any of you knew all of my thoughts. I couldn't bear it. You certainly wouldn't want me up here. And this is why we pray. Deliver us from evil. Sanctify us, please, Lord. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Make us more like Jesus. And praise God that this is the work that he is continually doing in all of us who are Christians through his Holy Spirit. And so we know who we pray to in verse 1. We pray for deliverance from evil, verses 2 to 5. But there's, there's kind of one more aspect of prayer that I want to I draw out before we move on. Look at the last part of verse 5. It says, He will tear them down and build them up no more. Now, he shifts the tense here. He goes from asking and imploring the Lord to deliver him and to give the evildoers according to their works. Uh, but then he changes shift to a more definite way of speaking. He says, he will. So it's like, Lord, please do all this. And then, oh, he will do this, which is this really cool thing. It's this kind of, it's this kind of um, uh, juxtaposition that we as Christians live in. And now in the not yet, the I believe help my unbelief. It's like, please, Lord, do this. I know you will. He's no longer asking the Lord to act. Now he is fully confident in the fact that the Lord will act. In his mind, there is no doubt whatsoever. And, and for us, we have even more reason to pray this way. Why? Because it's not just that God will act, it's that God has acted. He has sent his son. He has, uh, he has poured out judgment on Jesus. And in, in, in the face of all the injustice in the world, we know that our God is making all things new. That's why our mission statement of the church is joining God in the renewal of all things. And we know that even though it may feel sometimes like we're losing the battle, we know that the war is already won, right? It's good and right that we should work hard for justice and mourn the absence of justice. But listen to these words from Romans 12. This is Romans 12, 19. Beloved, welcome to the church. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what that means? It means that there is coming a day when, when Jesus will come in justice, and justice will be done. Wrongs will be made right. And in that day, it's only those who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus that will stand. So if you look around at the world and just feel that despair, or even if you look in and feel that despair... God will act. God has acted through Jesus, and God will bring justice. He will bring peace. So we can pray for the situation you created. We can pray for our political leaders. We can pray for refugees. We can pray for what's going on in our lives, because we know what Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's a future that's ours. And so we pray because we know the one we are praying to. We know that he has acted through Jesus and that one day he will decisively act and put an end to that. So 
if you are struggling this morning, if you are stumbling, like sometimes you just feel like you're stumbling through life, take courage. We can just boldly approach our Father and we don't have to have perfectly formed words. We can just say, Father, this is what's going on. I'm hungry. I need food. There's all this stuff in the world. It's too big. I'm struggling with my faith. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You can come into his presence just like David does. Just say, Lord, my rock, don't be deaf to me. So that's our first lesson. The people of God pray. But, but the next lesson comes from verses 6 to 8. Let me read those um, verses. Verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Okay, so notice that God has heard him now. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In my heart, in him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. So he, he, when faced, or there's a shift in tone here, he, he shifts from praying to praising, right? We're going to have three Ps this morning, just so you know, old school. So, so God's people praise him. That's our second lesson. When, when living in the world today, all around us, and on our own sin, we praise God. I love how he starts verse 6. Blessed be the Lord. Why is the Lord to be blessed? Because he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. There's this continuation of the expression of, of confidence from verse 5 where he's so confident that he will. But now this, this confidence is he has. The Lord has heard my prayer. You see, in David writing this, nothing about his situation has changed. All the stuff, all the enemies are all around him. But his confidence is there. The Lord has heard my prayer. Uh, Finley our, our son, he, he, he prays every prayer like, thank you, Jesus. I think Abigail does too. Thank you, Jesus. There's this childlike faith and ex expectation that, that you can just thank God for something even before it's, you've asked it, you know, which is really lovely. And this is how David prays here. We know the one we pray to, and so, of course, we can have confidence in him that he will hear us and deliver us. And even before the answer comes, we praise him for being faithful and answering the prayers of his people. Why? Because God has already acted. He already has heard our prayers. He saved us in Jesus. Look at verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts. David, David's praise is based directly on who God is. Just like his prayer. He's like, I'm not just praising some you know, abstract thing. I'm praying to this specific living God. And I'm praising him specifically. Now, he's praising the Lord because of who he is. In one sense, he's praising God for what he has done. He has heard my pleas of mercy. But he's praising the Lord for who he is. The Lord is my strength and shield. And I think that sometimes that we only want to praise God when things are going right or when we feel like it. Which is, let's be honest, not very often. Um, I do this all the time. But, but in this psalm, we see God being praised because of who he is. And there's a very simple lesson for there, that, that, that we praise God not out of what he does, but out of who he is. It's why for centuries across the globe, people have got together and sung songs of praise to God, even in the, worst, even in the middle of the worst circumstances. I've seen videos of, of churches in Ukraine 
actually, you know, and, and I'm not talking like on the outskirts, I'm talking like in, in Kiev and in other places where the, the war, and where the war is really biting hard, like buildings collapsing all around, churches sitting around a table, taking communion and singing songs to God. It's incredible. Think of Paul and Silas. If you don't know the story, you can read it in Acts chapter 16. They were in a Roman prison being persecuted because they were telling the gospel to people, right? And, and they're at that point, they're just like, well, we're probably going to die. We're going to die here. They're chained up. They're going to face execution. And, and, and what do we find them doing? We find them in there singing hymns of praise. They're just praising God. Not, not because they're like, well, we know that God is going to get us out of this jail. They might not. They're pretty, you know, as, as far as they're concerned, they're pretty certain that this could be the end for them. But they're praising God. They're praising Him because they know who He is, that He is in control, that His justice reigns, that, that, that He will reign forever. Of course, we should praise God for what He is doing in our lives and, and, and what He has done. I, I, I'm, I'm praising God for like a great holiday, you know, like that was a real blessed time and loads of good stuff and it's great. Of course, we should praise God for that. Of course, we should praise God for that Jesus has saved us. But the Bible tells us that, 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 that what God does is always an overflow of His character, right? He acts out of who He is. And so when we delight in the character of God, it allows us as His people to praise Him no matter what's going on. Does that make sense? God always acts out of who He is. He never acts out of character. He loves us because He is love. And so we praise Him for who He is. I remember the first time that I ever came across this concept, and, and maybe I've told this story before, but it, it was a, a, a good number of years ago now, um, and I just got a phone call. I was really young, maybe like 21 or something, 20. And it's not a long time ago. And uh, I just got this phone call that my, my aunt had died after, you know, she'd been suffering with leukemia for a long time. And I was with a friend of mine. And when I, and when I told him what happened, he just gave me a hug and he said, praise the Lord. <laughs> You're like, what? Don't praise the Lord for my aunt dying. But he wasn't being flippant and he wasn't being unsympathetic. He wasn't being a bad friend. He was being a good friend. He was reminding me that in all circumstances, we praise the Lord. God is good all the time. God is good. He always acts out of his character. And so no matter what is going on, God is still God, right? And what was true back here 2,500 years ago when David wrote this psalm is true today. God is still God. God is still on his throne. God is still our strength and our shield. And in him, our hearts trust because he is unchanging. So in the face of an unjust world, in the face of so much evil around us, in the face of, 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 of the, so much evil within ourselves, in the face of all of this, as we live in this world, that, that we don't get to decide on the times and the place that we live in, we can and we should always say, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord of who he is. What do the people of God do living in the world today? We pray and we praise. The third P, the last part, is we persevere. I could get used to doing three Ps actually. It's pretty good. I like it when it's all neat and tidy. Um, look at verse 9 with me. That's the last verse. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Now, why would he pray this? Why would David pray this if 
as we've already seen in verse 6, that, that God has heard his pleas for mercy. Why is he saying again, O oh, save your people and bless your heritage, be their shepherd and carry them forever? Why is he asking this if he's already said in verse 6, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy? I mean, if the Lord has delivered him, why need to pray for more salvation? Well, notice that up to verse 8, this psalm is, is, is the prayer of an individual for an individual. But then in verse 8, he starts using this collective language of the people. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed, O, o Savior people. Be their shepherd. Carry them forever. And why does he do this? Well, the most likely explanation is that this is a psalm of David. And David, as I said, was the king of Israel. And he was God's representative for the people. Before the time of Jesus, the, the king stood in, in a, a much, much lesser form, the, the, the representative of, of the people before God. And he's writing uh, with this responsibility of being this representative on its mind. He, he knows that the deliverance he prays for is not just for him as one person, but for all people. You see, he stands in the gap for his people and he pleads with the Lord to deliver them. He requests that the Lord would deliver the people in the same way that he is going to deliver him. You see, he, he, he well, let's look at this word, this word heritage, right? In verse 9, O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. This means that the, that the people are God's heritage. In other words, the people of God have an inheritance, that we're, we're part of what God, God's legacy, if you like. The people mentioned here in verse 9, he knows that, that God is doing something much, much bigger that goes beyond him, that goes beyond the nation of Israel at that time. It goes to all generations. He knows that, that God is doing something big in the world. And it's because of this that the people need salvation and deliverance more than, than for just their current circumstances. God has heard the, the voice of my pleas for mercy. But there's also this continual need for God to save us, bless your people, save your people, bless your heritage. God is doing something that passes down through the generations. But the other reason for this is that, that we have been saved, but we're also being saved, right? We, we have been saved. It's like the, the dungeon door has been thrown open, and now we are walking out of the dungeon, if you like. You see, David recognizes the need for the continual perseverance of God's people. Look at what he says. He says, be their shepherd and carry them forever. Now, David was a shepherd for many years before he was the king. And this imagery of, of, of a shepherd is one that he uses time and time again to describe the relationship between God and his people. Then, then you know, um, years later, Jesus comes along and he uses this relationship. Jesus talks about himself as the, the shepherd and us, his people, as the, as the sheep. Now, the role of the shepherd was to protect the sheep. It was to lead them to new pastures. It was, it was to, to provide them nourishment and protection so that they could thrive, to keep them safe from the wolves and the predators. And this is what David calls on the Lord to be for his people. Lord, Lord be the, 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 the savior, be the protector, be the nourisher, lead us to new pastures. Be their shepherd and what? To carry them forever. Listen, church, in, in the face of the world that we live in, we need to pray and we need to praise, yeah, but we need to also persevere. See, we are God's 
heritage, and in Him we have an inheritance, right? We are God's legacy, and we have this eternal inheritance. And no matter how bad things seem all around us, or no matter how bad things seem when we look inside, no matter how much we just want to be like through and say, I wish none of this had ever happened, we persevere. Not out of some vain hope, not out of some sheer determination of, well, like, oh, I need to keep going, but because our inheritance is secure. Now listen, this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. The Spirit himself bears witness that we are the children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Actually, fellow heirs with Christ. We share this inheritance. This is what David is talking about uh, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. That we are fellow heirs with Christ. That means that all the blessings that the Father heaps on the Son comes now to us, right? We share in the blessings of Jesus. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus has united himself to us, and so we now share in his inheritance. It's incredible. It's like if Prince Charles came in here. This would be a weird scenario. And he said to me, you're now my brother. Here's all the legal documents. And suddenly, I'm an heir to the throne? But that's what Jesus has done for us. Not only has he pulled us out of the pit, he's also made us in a, a, an heir of heaven. And here's what I want to finish with this morning. You see, if I just left it here, that would probably be a pretty cool sermon, like three Ps and all matches up. Um, but if I left you with, you've got to pray, you've got to praise, you've got to persevere, what I've done is just give you a list of stuff to do. <laughs> and the gospel is never, ever a list of stuff to do. And if it was, I would be the worst Christian ever. Maybe I am anyway. Praising God and of persevering. And we do those things no matter what's going on around us. We should live in this way. But if all we have is some instruction to do X, Y, and Z, then what happens when we feel? Because we well feel, right? I can't be alone in this. I'm sure you all feel that too. And you might already be thinking, well, this sounds great and all, but, but this is so hard. You just tell me to do X, Y, and Z. Do you know how, what it's like out there in the world? Do you know what it's like to be, to be a Christian in my workplace? I'd love to persevere. I'd love to pray. I'd love to praise, but it's so beauty of this psalm this morning. David says, be their shepherd and carry them forever. Carry them forever. And the truth is that we are not the ones doing the persevering, right? We're, we're not just trying to, trying to hold on to some religion on our own strength. The Lord carries us. He is our shepherd, our king, and he holds us. Now listen to the words from 2 Timothy 2. I've given you a lot of cross-references this morning, but I think this is good. 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I know whom I have believed. Right? Just like David. I know him. And I am convinced that he is able to keep until that day, until the new creation, that which has been entrusted to me. So it's, this is this weird situation that we find ourselves in, that God gives us all this stuff. He's entrusted to us, but he's the one who keeps it. Isn't that so good? Like... Um, we can't squander our inheritance. I can't spend it all. I can't ruin it. You know, I can't drink it all away. I can't, I can't ruin any part of it. He grants us an inheritance, but he is the one who keeps it for us. 
This is part of our salvation. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's, it's what theologians call the perseverance of the saints. And, and the truth is that we don't persevere. Jesus perseveres for us. God's grace uh, lavished on us uh, through Jesus is found on every page of the Bible. But, but th- and this psalm is no different, okay? You see, Jesus, though, I remember a few weeks ago I said that Jesus is the fulfillment of every psalm. Is the one who fulfills this psalm. So we can pray, verse 1, that we would be saved from the pit because Jesus went to the pit, right? He went to the pit so we don't have to. And we can pray, verse 3, that we wouldn't be dragged off the wicked because Jesus was dragged off with the wicked. We can pray, verse 4, that the wicked would receive according to their works because Jesus has received according to our wickedness. Like Jesus got what we deserve. Jesus has taken all the punishment that the wicked deserve. And listen to verse 8 again. I'm really done. And he is the saving refuge of his anointed. So how can we pray this verse confidently? How can, we, how can we say, Lord, regardless of what's in my own heart, regardless of all the evil I see around me, regardless of, 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 of all the troubles, how can we pray this confidently? Well, we look to Jesus, right? Because he got what we deserved. He went to the pit. He was dragged off with the wicked, literally dragged off with the wicked and, and executed with criminals. He got the punishment that the wicked deserved. He got the punishment that we deserved. And because of this, we can be sure that the Lord is the strength of his people. We can, be, we can be sure that the Lord is the saving refuge of his people. Pure grace, isn't it? This is pure grace upon grace upon grace. That God gives us his inheritance, but he keeps it for us. That, that, that God uh, tells us to pray, but he is the one who helps us do that. Not only has God saved us through Jesus, we live a saved life through Jesus. And our inheritance is in Jesus. So let's be encouraged this morning, Christians. Let's hope. Let's praise God with our whole hearts and our whole lives and sing out because of Jesus. And let's persevere because of Jesus. Come Holy Spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word to us this morning. We want to thank you that um, even though uh, we live in a world that's full of wickedness and our hearts are full of wickedness. You're the one who perseveres. You're the one who protects us. You're the one who carries us. This is your grace to us. Um, but I pray that we would become a people who pray, a, a people who praise you, a people who are known for those things and a people who persevere, uh, not on our own strength, Lord, but on your strength, because of what you've done. Um, I I just want to pray for anybody, including myself, who's feeling weak and struggling. Father, I pray that they would just come to you now and uh, and just be like a kid who says, I am hungry. (laughs) You always open your arms to us. You're always ready to provide for us. You're always ready to nurture us and care for us. Lord, carry us forever. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're we're going to come to uh, the Lord's table again this morning like we do every Sunday. Um, um, I think uh, Travis and Lauren are going to serve that. Um, on, you'll just come forward when you're ready. Um, but this is a meal that Jesus has given to us 
to not just, um, not, not just kind of remind ourselves, but almost in a way to, to receive again that salvation. So, so we take this bread and this wine, remind us of Jesus' sacrifice, reminds us that he was dragged off with the wicked, that he did go to the pit on our behalf. So let's come forward. We can celebrate this this morning, even no matter what's going on in the world around us, in our lives, or in our own hearts, we can come and celebrate. This is part of us boldly approaching the throne of grace. So if you love Jesus, if you're following him, come and receive this meal this morning. There's non-alcoholic versions in each one. And it's this meal that Jesus gave to his followers on the night when he was betrayed. He broke the bread and he passed it around. And he said, this is my body.